What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. And this is a little shorter of an episode because we had very little time with these editors, but it was such an exciting opportunity that I had to jump on it. So I had about 20 minutes to interview them. The team I'm interviewing is the team that did Avengers Endgame. And so we have Jeffrey Ford and Matthew Schmidt. And I think that what's phenomenal about this is that they put together, I would argue, one of the tougher projects this year because they had to bring together 20-something films, bring those to a close for us, and also allow us a normal story within this one film. So here's my interview with Matthew Schmidt and Jeffrey Ford about Avengers Endgame. I guess to start off, I'd like to know, this is a long film, so this is three hours. So I'm wondering, out of that three hours, what is the scene that you guys are most proud of? Wow, that's a tough question to answer. I'm going to say that I think Tony's death is one of my favorite things in the movie, editorially, performance-wise, music, sound, everything about it from a cinematic standpoint is really interesting and really brave choices by both those actors. And I think um, I feel like we did something really special with that. It could have gone a different way. It could have been handled quite differently. And I think, you know, Joe and Anthony and Robert and Gwyneth and, you know, Tom Holland and Don Cheadle really kind of brought it for that whole moment. And um, I just love the way it works. It's a, it's an, it's an odd scene, but the pace and the way the music functions and also the way sound works when, you know, if you're left in a bit of silence at the end of it to deal with what's happened, then you really get to experience it as an audience with just the sound of the people around you. I, I love that moment. It's very profound in terms of like having gone on a journey with this character for me. So I hope other people feel the same way. And just to be sure, you're talking about the scene during the fight, not like the funeral or anything like that. No, no. I mean, literally just, you know, when he's after he snaps, he kind of collapses by the tree and then Rhodey shows up and then Peter shows up. And it's just that moment ending with him with his RT going out. And so you just see his face there it's, and Gwyneth kisses him. It's just a, you know, I thought they did a beautiful job, the actors. And it was a really delicate scene had to be edited in just a certain way. Um harder than it looks and deceptively complex with what's going on there. But um, I think it turned out good. What about it made it uh, deceptively complex? Well, I think there's a lot of material that was shot for it. Not really more than what we use, but variations on performance. So there were different ways, different temperatures to play those different performances. So choosing those was important. And then I think Robert did something really interesting. He chose to do this moment almost, you know, totally nonverbal. It's all about his facial performance and his eyes. And that makes for, a you know, something that's actually has to be edited in a very specific way because you need to really make sure the audience is tracking his internal movement. And that's done through his eyes and through how Gwyneth is reacting to him. So it just was so delicate because there's nothing, there's nowhere to hide. The camera's not moving a lot. You know, there's not a lot of explosions or CG imagery. It's all just those actors. I mean, they have CG suits on, but nobody's looking at that. They're looking at their faces. So just that level of scrutiny that the audience is going to put on it. And also that it's incredibly emotional. It has to have an emotional build and a peak. And uh, everything they say, all the breaths that they take, all the sounds around them on the battlefield, the sound of the fire, um, the sound of even his, there's a tone running through the scene that stops when his RT goes out as a way to like suggest to you that something's gone. And then, of course, there's an incredible piece of music there that Alan Silvestri wrote that we, you know, the directors and Alan sort of customized to that edit to really make it pop and have it work just so. If we had overscored that moment, I think we would have killed it and we would have really hurt those performances. And what we did was we did a really minimalist and very, I think, beautiful score there, Alan did. And I, I'm really, I'm proud of the, the sophistication of that moment. What about yourself, Matt? 
I like how the movie begins, you know, Hawkeye and his family kind of bringing us back from Infinity War, where we last left, you know, our heroes back and finding Hawkeye and his family on the farm. You know, we didn't see Hawkeye at all in Infinity War. And the scene was actually supposed to go at the end of Infinity War. And we decided early on to kind of move it to the head of uh, Endgame because it really sets the stage and kind of where we're heading for the rest of the movie. And it also brings the audience back to what happened when Thanos snapped at the end of Infinity War. And it really sets the tone. What I like about that one, though, is that it also makes them human, I guess you could say, because instead of it being them in a battle disappearing, it's him with his daughter and his wife and sons. And so it sort of makes them more human, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I think the audience reacts to that because it is a very human experience. It's not a fight. It's not, you know, action scene where, you know, we find him with his family just having a picnic and, you know, he's interacting with his daughter and he's showing the human side of Hawkeye as well, which then in turn, once, you know, they disappear, it kind of sets him on his path to become uh, Ronan. Now, what were the conversations like in the cutting room with regards to the tone of the film? Because it, the first uh, act is sort of society coming to terms with everyone dying here. So how did you guys sort of balance that tone? Because you do a really good job of having it there and having people deal with it, but not hitting us over the head. So how did you approach that? Oh, well, thank you for, for saying that. I, it was a really important part of the process to have, you know, what you could call tone control in the movie. And I think one of the things that helped us more than we ever imagined it would is that we were really working off the reaction that the fans, the audience, and we ha- ourselves had from the end of Infinity War. So the way Infinity War ends and you know, that was a movie that was in production at the same time as this one. So we were finding Infinity War even as we were beginning to edit Endgame. But I think once Infinity War came out and we went to the theater and we saw that moment where Thanos snaps and people start to disappear. And of course, Tom Holland's great performance where he goes and it's so powerful and people were not expecting the bad guy to win in the superhero movie, certainly one like this. And so I think the the way that you felt at the end of Infinity War, I think we all were educated on how we might feel if this happened to somebody, you know, close to us. And that idea was to carry that forward so the characters were right with the audience. They were also, you know, you know, mystified, confused as to what might happen next. Was there a way out? Was there a way to fight it? Was there a way to just that? Did we just have to accept it? Is this the way the world's going to be now? I think we all felt that way as an audience, and so the characters did too. So we wanted to carry that forward until there's sort of a ray of hope and a possible solution that appears. I also think that our plan was always to really let this endgame be about the original Avengers, you know, that original six. So we wanted to get to their emotional lives in the movie, knowing that if we just had another battle picture or, a, you know, another heist movie or another whatever we had just done, that we would really not be servicing, you know, our, our audience. They really needed to see now character dynamics and really a deep dive on those characters. So that's also why we chose to really focus on their emotional reactions to what they had been through. And now you guys have been involved in other Marvel projects. So one of the things, and you kind of highlighted it with Infinity War carrying over, but character arcs, not only the individual ones for each films, but being an arc for an entire series of 21 films. How did you 
tackle that because you have to wrap up all the the loose ends. Well, yeah, I mean, again, you know, there's certain characters who really do have definitive wrap ups in this movie, obviously. I mean, certainly Tony and Natasha Cap. Um, There are other characters who, you know, have changed because of their experiences and continue on Thor and uh, Hulk and uh, Hawkeye. So I think there's like uh, different characters have different demands. But, you know, the interesting thing with Cap's arc through the series is that I've been involved with that character from the very beginning. I worked on all the Captain America films and all the Avengers films. And I I really adore Chris Evans professionally, personally, and just as a fan. So I think of all the characters just for me personally, I feel like I was really, it was an honor to be able to care for that arc. And it was so important to both Chris and, and I, and also with everybody that is involved with that character. I'm really proud of how that moved through the series. I think he did a brilliant job with it. And I think the screenwriters, Marcus McFeely, who had a lot to do with moving him from First Avenger through, did a brilliant job with his character. But one of the things that we had to do in order to make that work was he had to lay back a little bit in Infinity War. He didn't really have as much to do in that film as he has had in other Avengers movies. And that's okay because we knew we were going to get back into his story. Same with Natasha, you know, in Endgame. So those choices to let some characters not have as much screen time or to not have as much movement in the story was a mindful one because we knew they were coming back in Endgame for big closure for what they had gone through. And was there a lot of changes from the, the script phase? Because I feel like Paul Feig and his, the writers really had this mapped out since like 2008. But, you know, were there any changes that were major from script to screen or how close did it reflect the script? Well, I, you know, when you say mapped out, uh, that's kind of, I, I mean, I'd be like, mm, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> of course we did. Yeah, that's exactly how we did it. It was all planned very carefully. No, I mean, a lot of, I mean, any filmmaking, it comes from discovery and discovery happens when you're making the movie. So, so much of this Marvel Cinematic Universe story arc was discovered during the making of these films. Not to say there wasn't an overall plan. I think it was really, you know, Kevin really had a, a plan in mind, but he's a smart enough guy to know that when a plan's not working, you you need to find a new one or, or vary it or change up. So the movies were made, and as the movies were being made, we just made discoveries that we, you know, that we ran into as things that would help us with this overall plan, you know? So I think that's, it's important to sort of remember that there's an interactive process, both, you know, writing and editing all of these movies that involves making these stories work in individual films first, and then as a big sweeping story arc second. I will say that the plan from Civil War through Endgame was very detailed and very specific, and that Joe and Anthony Russo and, and uh, Mark McFeely were very careful to sort of guide that, you know, fracturing the Avengers, bringing them back together, and then, and then giving them the finale. That was something that was structured, and we talked about quite a bit. All the details in that structure changed a million times while we were making the movies and writing the movies and shooting the movies. But the overall general structure, that was in place in a pretty healthy way since Civil War. Now, I'm wondering how you guys deal with the fans, because there's an interesting level of respect that's been given to the fans through this whole series with like little, I guess, winks to the crowd or nods to the crowd. But you also want to be careful not to make it too heavy for the fans so that, you know, people who don't haven't read the comics will still enjoy the the series so you know what kind of balance did you find for that with how deep you could go into the knowledge of of the original comics 
Well, everybody, you know, Kevin and, and Marcus McFeely, Joe and Anthony, and Jeff and I are all big comic book fans, of course. And so we could go really deep. And it is a tricky balance. But I don't think we ever really rein ourselves in. If it's a good idea, we go for it. We don't rein ourselves in and, and limit ourselves to, you know, what's too deep for the fans or, you know, only a certain amount of fans would really appreciate it. You know, we go for what how it works in the story and, and the characters that are on screen at the time. Of course, you always try to throw the nod into, you know, for the fanboys. And uh, sometimes it's uh, on purpose. Sometimes it's a happy accident where things just kind of work out. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this ties into this. And you start building on that during the script phase and even during shooting. And I don't think we kind of really look at it as a thing to service or not service or over service. Right. And it's not just comic books, by the way. If you look at these movies, I'll tell you what else you can tell by these movies. You can tell these were made by movie fans, cinema fans, fans of cinema as an art form, because we make, I mean, there's so many references to movies in these movies, as well as to comic books. And that's one of the things I love about it. You know, it's just that we also are, we all grew up on these incredible movies by, you know, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and Francis Coppola. All these people made these amazing movies that inspired us. There's references to those in there. And, you know, uh, apologies to Robert Zemeckis, but we do say Back to the Future is bullshit in this movie. Um, (laughs) And our composer, Alan Silvestri scored Back to the Future, so uh, he's in on it too. (laughs) (laughs) So you got the green light that way. Yeah. Now, I read somewhere that you this was shot back to back with Infinity Wars and that Smart Hulk was originally going to appear in Infinity Wars, but was cut out so that the sort of appearance could occur in, in this. And I was wondering what the decision was behind that. Sure. Actually, shooting them back to back is not really a fair way to put it. They were literally shot in like one after the other interleaved. I mean, there was like, you know, Monday would be dailies from Endgame and Tuesday would be dailies from Infinity War and like that on and on and on. Oh, wow. Well, we, yeah, we shot an introduction of Smart Hulk in the Battle of Wakanda in Infinity War. And it was meant to be a, a, a moment for Banner there that sort of, you know, where he kind of was able to call Hulk back after not being able to get him back. And we felt that his arc in that movie was that Hulk was scared by Thanos pretty much. I mean, he got, got the Hulk scared out of him and, and, and it was he was having difficulty accessing that part of himself. And to bring it back at the end of that movie didn't really track for us because in Introducing that character in the midst of what is, was going to be a fail was not what we wanted to do. We really wanted to drive into the fact that this was a movie about the Avengers losing. And so we redesigned it. It also was sort of corrupting the end where it got there was too much going on and the, and the audience didn't have time to pull over to the curb and have an introduction for a new character. They wanted to keep on that main storyline. And so we created a sequence where Banner got a win by defeating Cull in the Hulkbuster suit. And that that's how he finds his confidence again. But of course, it's completely undermined seconds later when Thanos snaps. So I think... It allowed us to move that character introduction into Endgame, and we really needed that moment in Endgame where after the five years later shift, we find these characters like Thor, who's now changed and transformed because of his guilt and his difficulty. We needed Banner to have that sort of transformation, too. You know, Tony has it. Everybody has it, and we needed it for Banner. So I'm really happy with that change. I think we did the right thing. It was definitely, uh, we were sweating it, and then uh, I think once we got into Smart Hulk in, in Endgame, we knew we made the right call. Now, I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I interview. What's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? 
Wow, my favorite guilty pleasure film to watch. I'm going to go with Flash Gordon, 1980. Oh, that's a that's good one. one. You know, I can never get enough of Back to the Future. I remember watching it. But as, that's not a guilty pleasure. That's just a no, but it's movie. a guilty pleasure. But when I sit there and have all kinds of stuff to do, and I sit down and I watch it. You can't just say, you know, that's not a guilty pleasure. That's not a guilty pleasure, but I feel guilty every single time I sit down and watch it. You shouldn't because you're learning every time you watch that movie. You can learn more from the, watching that movie over and over again than any other. That's the best, one of the best pieces of screenwriting in American history. Amazing piece of screenwriting. It is pretty good. By Robert Zemeckis and Robert Gale. Incredible. Well, thank you guys for uh, allowing me to interview. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. So that was my interview with Matthew and Jeffrey. I'd like to thank the two of them for allowing me to interview them. I'd also like to thank Naraj Patel for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.